0: Hello, loyal listeners and supporters of WTIP's Boundary Waters podcast. This is Tom Sega, the president and CEO of Duluth Pack, and we are so excited to sponsor the Boundary Waters podcast. Duluth Pack, the oldest canvas and leather pack and bag manufacturer in the USA, has been for 137 continuous years handcrafting canvas and leather canoe packs, backpacks, duffels, totes, shooting sports, and outdoor gear. This is dating all of the way back to 1882. We are so proud of our time-tested quality and materials that allow you, our loyal customers, the opportunity to enjoy adventures and make new memories with your Duluth Pack products. All Duluth Pack manufactured products come with a lifetime guarantee on all craftsmanship and hardware. Did you know that Duluth Pack can private label our bags with your company logo? Call or email us, and we can give you all the details. Our bag, your logo. You can also shop at Duluth Pack's flagship retail store or our website at duluthpack.com for all of your Boundary Waters and Outdoors needs. We thank you for your support, loyalty, and business to both Duluth Pack and WTIP's Boundary Waters podcast. Please let your friends and family know about the Boundary Waters Podcast. Duluth Pack, handcrafted since 1882.
1: This is the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. This is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids, you know. Our first wilderness camping experiences were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast, and you can relax, you can go paddling, you can go hiking.
2: We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake and I remember catching walleye there before.
3: I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters. And it was really cool, it was my first time.
4: The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with with no packs, with with only a day pack, uh,
2: we take it in one day. Well you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars, I will set my sights by the northern star and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Oh and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights.
5: Welcome to episode 21 of the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. I'm here with your host, Joe
6: Fredericks. Hey, I'm here with Matthew Baxley. None other than Matthew Baxley. Look at you. You made it through summer.
5: Barely. (laughs) By the skin of my teeth. And I think I was dragging you behind me every step of the way.
6: (laughs) We have arrived. It's September um, Can't believe it. It's just a, of course, as we've said many times. Well, you know how I feel about the winter, Matthew, and I'm sure our podcast listeners are figuring that out too. But we love the fall here in the Boundary Waters.
5: We sure do. And, you know, it's such an, you for most people, the summer is so busy. You know, you're packed, especially, you know, up here in the northern uh, part of the state, you know, you really only get a month of solid summer and and most people i know especially those that love the outdoors are making the most of every day night second of that season so when the fall comes around it's kind of permission to slow down a little
6: bit the collective sigh yeah the the deep (laughs) Ah, there it is hey well let's talk about you know we got a great episode lined up yeah. uh, awesome interviews chelsea lloyd uh, our new co-host here on the podcast has her first well she sort of unofficially did her first interview on episode 20 where she turned the tables and interviews us but uh, she's been up traveling in canada recently and has an interview that i am super excited about here on the podcast
5: well don't spill the beans too soon
6: yeah, you're right, Matthew. So we'll 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 drop the name here in a bit, but uh, also do you know we've got another interview too, uh, as we always do. Two parts of every episode here, so we'll get to all that in a moment because we're we're excited about all this news. The podcast itself has been making news.
5: Yeah, you know it's been really exciting. Uh, we're we've been receiving in our email inbox uh, lots of references to the podcast that have been popping up in in different media outlets, and uh, one of the ones that I was really excited about was on RadioWorld.com. You you know, most people probably haven't heard of some of these. They're sort of specific to our industry, but uh, this author... Uh, Ernesto Aguilar, uh, I think he's, so he's the program director of the National Federation of Community Broadcasters, which is kind of a big deal. So in this article that he wrote about the importance of podcasting for regional radio stations, we're a regional ra- radio station, uh, so he cited this podcast, the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast, as one of the, quote, best in class, unquote, when it comes to dynamic community Radio Podcasts. Uh, So therefore, you can now find this podcast on a new platform or an evolving platform called Radio Free America. So uh,
6: Joe, do you want to explain a little bit about what Radio Free America is that we're learning about it? Yeah, I mean, it's basically a a platform for anybody around the world to find community radio stations, public supported stations um, across the country. Uh, Up in Alaska. Oregon, the station in Bend I used to listen to popped up on there, Albuquerque. Oh, the, the Texas. Country. Yeah, exactly. New Mexico, all over the country. And what Radio Free America is, is again, it's just kind of a, a gathering point for people that are interested in community radio to... It's a starting point, so it's not such a scattered Google search. Right,
5: and I think specifically for podcasts or uh, features like our own that are a little more regional-specific, so you can go there, like say you really have, maybe you have an affinity with Bend, Oregon. Maybe you live there, maybe you'd like to visit there, maybe you want to go someday. You can go to Radio Free America and find some features specific to Bend, mm-hmm. and you can listen to those at, at your leisure.
6: What they're also doing within Radio Free America, Matthew, with these features about you know specific locations is they are really expanding their their podcast platform. And, and we have been chosen, WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast, as one of the five across the country that are being featured in this a roster of programs within podcasts being developed and produced at community radio stations. So we are there with the radio station in Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, K O P N in Columbia, Missouri, the radio station in Port Towns in Washington, K Z U M in Lincoln, Nebraska, and another radio station in Provincetown. Uh so this is this is huge, Matthew, to be included in this group. I mean, first of all, I'm I'm honored and, and thank you to Radio Free America for for making this happen.
5: Yeah, it is it's exciting. And you know, it's exciting for us because I feel like uh it's been a lot of hard work at times and it's nice to see acknowledgement of that and uh, we get that a lot from our listeners which is great but to see it being put on a platform like that is an honor and you know and also joe uh star tribune minneapolis minnesota newspaper uh for anybody who's not from the region uh just did uh an article featuring yourself the joe fredericks himself at which you i believe talked at length about the podcast
6: did you not i did i mean i i mentioned that we've got a new co-host chelsea i say what we've been doing that we're you know what we do with the boundary waters in the podcast so yeah i tried to. Uh, well, I mean, it's what I'm interested in is the podcast. So I was uh, genuinely trying to get the word out there, but just because they were asking about it, you know.
5: And uh, it's, and that's that love for the Boundary Waters too. Uh, And especially for, you know, a lot of our listeners are down in uh, the Minneapolis, St. Paul, Twin Cities Metro. And, you know, that love for the wilderness is something that, you know, is huge down there. And I'm glad that Maybe some folks will get to connect with the podcast because of that uh, article. Well, so that's enough of uh, you know inflating our egos.
6: Well, it's been cool, Matthew. I <laughs> yeah. mean, there's you know every time we it's the people at the radio station here are like, wow, the podcast is this, this is uh you know there's a lot of enthusiasm behind it right now. And now twenty one, this is the twenty first episode. It's just movement momentum there's a lot of great things happening and we've got uh, already looking ahead to 2020 and what we've got in mind and so I'm proud of you, Matthew Baxley, and what you've done. And they've even got a little bio of you on Radio Free America, which is awesome, including a photo of you on Winchell Lake <laughs> from the from the epic trip. So you got to check it out. Maybe we'll, somehow we'll be able to add links to so you yeah. can find this what we're talking about with Radio Free America and so forth.
5: Totally. And Joe, I'm proud of you too.
6: Hey, man, we're in it together, buddy. This has been so much fun, and I can't wait to keep it going in 2020.
5: You know, sp- speaking of our team, uh, you had mentioned the newest member of our team, Chelsea Lloyd. Uh, I think it's time to uh, to maybe share with folks who's going to be on the episode today.
6: Well, there's a name. Uh, Many of our friends here in the paddling community will recognize this name. Uh, Becky Mason, legendary Canadian uh, canoeing instructor. Uh, She's an artist. She makes videos. There's videos shot of her paddling a canoe.
5: Incredible skills. I mean, you wouldn't believe what this woman can do. With a paddle in a canoe.
6: And Becky is the daughter of Bill Mason, who is perhaps Canada's most well known paddler in the history of the country. I mean he is the a a documentary filmmaker, he is author a, everything to do with canoes. I mean, you mentioned the name Bill Mason to most Canadian residents and many people here in northern Minnesota and across the country here in the U.S. too. uh, They'll know the name Bill Mason and likely to know Becky Mason, his daughter, who we hear from.
5: Uh, Becky's Canoe, which is a song that you have heard many times on this podcast. It's an instrumental by um, our beloved
6: songwriter. Mr. Ian Tamblin.
5: Yes. So uh, the song Becky's Canoe, he wrote specifically for... Becky, and uh, one of her paddling videos.
6: Yes, exactly. He talks
5: about that, I believe, in an interview in one of the episodes.
6: Mm-hmm. Episode 9, the uh, All Ontario episode. So so Chelsea traveled. Chelsea was up in uh, near the Toronto area uh, with some family at a canoeing event, <laughs> mm-hmm. no less, and found out that Becky Mason lived a mere... Five hours away, uh, up by Ottawa in a town called <laughs> Chelsea, by the way.
5: Which everything in that part of Canada is probably five hours from, <laughs> from the next thing.
6: <laughs> so Chelsea finds out, you know, sends an email while she was in Canada and says, uh, you think I could maybe, what do you think of the idea if I went on a kind of an odyssey, a pilgrimage to go try to meet Becky Mason? Pay homage to the great. In, indeed. So if you can line it up. Please, that'd be great. We worked some connections, and and uh, she was able to meet Becky, and uh, so we'll hear that interview, and uh, that's part one. But uh, also, we're gonna hear, you know, some people we met at the Midwest Mountaineering Expo. You know, we're really intrigued by people who are making that first trip to the Boundary Waters, Matthew. It's something the that rite of
5: passage, really.
6: You and I have met uh, either through uh, our outfitting past backgrounds or here on the podcast. That first trip, you know, and what it means to people. And, and we hear from people like Ken Cossack, Bob O'Hara. They, they talk about those early days, those first trips. Mm-hmm. So it means something, you know. They stays been, with you. Yeah, exactly. So today we're going to hear from uh, a person who went on his first trip. A, a couple that went, but they were uh, led, if you will. or um, Most people are led by somebody who has a
5: little more experience. Mm-hmm. And that's a great
6: way to be introduced. So we're going to hear from... Sarah Kmode and Joe Shilly. Joe made his first trip here in the summer of 2019, and uh, Andy and Sarah, who we met down at the Midwest Mountaineering Show, uh, they got a, a business called Hiking Through Life, and they're helping people kind of plan these types of trips. And in this instance, they were able to take uh, their friend Joe and his uh, significant other, his fiance, as well as, uh, as another group of people, went with them too. So we hear about the first trip to the Boundary Waters. and they stopped in right fresh off the trail, all smiles. It was great to, to hear from them. So that's part two. Uh, but let's not hold back because I'm just so excited to hear this. Bring on the Becky. Becky Mason with Chelsea Lloyd.
1: I'm joined today with um, Becky Mason here in her home in Chelsea, Quebec. So can you tell us a little bit and orient our listeners, where is Chelsea? Where is Chelsea in terms of to the Boundary Waters?
7: Well, Chelsea is a bit of a drive from Boundary Waters. <laughs> it's in Canada, so that's a bit of a difference. And then um, I'd say it's about a 14-hour drive if you drove non-stop don't recommend that because there's beautiful things to stop at Mm. and watch and look on the way maybe do a few canoe trips on the way but if you drove solid it would take maybe 14 16 hours to go to the boundary waters from chelsea quebec um the major city we're near is our national capital which is ottawa so
1: we're 20 minutes north of that so that's handy to know Right? So, and um, Becky, I first heard about, um, I found you through your father, Phil Mason. And, you know, when I was working on the Gunflint Trail um, near Grand Bray, Minnesota, a lot of times the canoe guides in terms of their training, they were required to watch some of your dad's instructional videos. And so it got me kind of curious. And, and so I watched some of his videos and then I found you and the work you've done. And so I was just wondering, um, have you been to Quetico or the Boundary Waters at all? Well, I have quite a few roots in,
7: uh, in uh, canoeing. Uh, just because of my dad, he 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 didn't drag us out, but he asked us if he wanted to go canoeing. So we went. Uh, he never. I don't know if I went to Quetico with him. I don't remember, but I have been to Quetico with my husband Reed, and uh, I really loved it. I just loved paddling along. We didn't go across the border to uh, Boundary Waters. Um, we were just going. Uh, we accessed the Quetico. Park and then we paddled north. And uh, next time I go,
1: I'll go to the Boundary Waters. Yeah, well, have, yeah, that would be wonderful. Um, growing up with with your dad, it seems like you kind of grew up in a canoe. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you spend a lot of time in a canoe as a young girl? Uh, dad, Dad
7: introduced me to canoeing, and he introduced our whole family to canoeing. Mm. It was just like a wonderful family outing. There was no pressure to love it, but mm. he he. He allowed us to develop a love of canoeing because of where it took us. It took We, we live not in wilderness, but we do have a lot of trees around. We're right by a, a, the Gatineau Park, so it goes for a kilometer, 60 kilometers one way. It's just beautiful. Um, and, and I have rivers around me, and my dad introduced me to many of them. I could spend my whole life and do all the rivers in a 12-hour radius and still not accomplish doing them all. So um, he taught me about my surroundings and that a canoe was able, a vehicle to access my surroundings. And yes, I love canoeing and I love where it can take me. And that's where, I think that's where my love of canoeing
1: came from, is that beautiful love of where it can take me. Hmm. Yeah, that's so true. You can you can get to a lot of places via canoe that you can't get to via motorboat. Or walking takes a long time. Mm-hmm. Canoes you can
7: load up with all your gear. You can go out for two weeks. You can go out for half an hour. Um, canoes in Canada and and not so much as states because you have quite a few. Uh, it's being chopped up, but uh, boundary waters for sure. Um, you can you can access different. Uh, waterways just by portaging into another waterway, right? Um, a lot of my canoe trips on the Missinabbee, um, it's just really exciting to reach ahead of land and then go into another watershed that's going to a different ocean,
8: yes. <laughs>
7: <laughs> and what a dream to that! And I was just thinking of dreams. And my dad did uh, paddle to the sea, it's a little, little boat. That he did, it it's a. Uh, it was nominated for an Academy Award, and we have one of the the models here. Many of your listeners would know this paddle to the sea. He traveled. Um, it's a little story of traveling the land, uh, and going through our Great Lake Basin, um, through Canada and the states, and and it was a, a brilliant, beautiful story about water and. And a little canoe and where it could take you so that that we just had about a couple years it's the 50th anniversary so um there's a lot of things to celebrate with my dad's legacy yeah it, it keeps coming around you were mentioning um you know the boundary Waters guides tend to review the path of paddle. well they were made in 1978 that's a long time ago and they still stand up to the test of time. Hmm. Well, of course, the clothes are a little outdated. <laughs> <laughs> Cut off shorts and stuff. Jeans. Um, but in uh, corduroys, Nobody would be caught dead in corduroys, I don't think, anymore. <laughs> but um, but the strokes, they have stood the test of time. He was in the forefront of cutaways for, for doing um, outdoor photography. It was quite radical a lot of people look down their nose at some of his filmmaking style but it really was suitable to the outdoors yeah. so a lot of his films actually are standing to the test of time they're not boring to watch no and he felt really strongly about the creative spark and that's what he nurtured with me the art of canoeing but also the art of making creating things and he actually always insisted that he have an original music track um so a musician would be hired to compose music to the films so they they're really interesting just to listen to again and again and i think that's also one of the things that people don't mind watching again and again
3: and they learn
7: from them Granted, they're interesting to look at, you know, how interesting is a vehicle of a canoe? (laughs) It's (laughs) it's so beautiful. You've got water, a little beautiful
1: vessel traveling our gorgeous waterways. Exactly. Yeah. So beautiful. I was just watching, actually, um, Song of the Paddle this morning and before we met today. And, um, oh my goodness, it was so interesting because yesterday... I went with my family to go visit Petroglyphs yes. Provincial Park and we are watching the the video at the visitor center there and one of the same petroglyphs was in Song of the Paddle as you guys were paddling on Lake Superior and right. yeah it was it's just it's a it's amazing how our paddling community you know I know a lot of our listeners are from all over the Midwest all over the country um, and it's amazing kind of how this love of of paddling and and the places it can take us kind of brings us together.
7: Yeah, and then the um, pictographs are the ones that are painted on the uh, cliff faces by the right. water, and then the petroglyphs are actually engraved, engraved. in the the stone. So the pictographs, they don't actually know, but they're thousands of years old. They have no idea how old they are, and they're they're amazing. Like uh, I didn't know this, but um, uh, my dad explained to me that the salts from the cliff face run down, and they're clear, and they run down onto the pictographs, and it's like a well, it's like a, a preservative, mm. so it preserves it for the rest of time. Wow, I didn't it's realize that. I yeah. didn't either. So that's why it's so wonderful to be respectful of those places because you don't know like they just found that out a while ago that this is what because they couldn't figure out why in the world is it lasting this long right and they really do so they were saying some of the the reasons is it's the materials they use but also the um the the mineral salts i believe minerals maybe not salts but the the stuff that's leaching from the cliffs running down it's the run-up helps
1: preserve them. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah. It is so fascinating. Oh my goodness! So, so you grew up, and your dad um, passed along a love for, of canoeing and and the creative spark. And so, when you were deciding, you know, what you wanted to be when you grew up, and and you grew up, how did you decide um, on your career path now as as a canoeist and a and a canoeing instructor and artist? Well, Dad, um,
7: I watched my dad, and, and he was a creative soul, and he made his, his, his profession as a filmmaker, and um, he was always curating, and I thought, that's a really nice idea, and, and so I said, I, I think I would like to be an artist too, and he says, well, if you're going to do that, you need to decide if you really can do it every day, all day, and, uh, and I said, okay. So I signed up for a two year um, uh, high school, um, it was an art program and uh, I graduated in Quebec and then I went to Ontario and I just spent two years of doing art all day, every day. And I said, yeah, I really do. So I went off to college, Ontario College of Art and uh, Design called OCAD now, but it used to be called OCA in Toronto. and. Um, I took a C&D, which is a communication and design program and I took uh, also fine art classes during it and I graduated and I I've been a fine artist ever since um, the reason I took communication design that was my dad's influence he said you know you can always learn you can always take more classes in fine art but I've learned that you have to be able to promote your art um, know those skills and the only way you're gonna have those skills is that interaction with some elite people that really know their things in all the different genres so why don't you go to this Toronto school and um, learn that craft so I did and it was a good advice
1: yeah and and now looking here in your home, you have so many beautiful pieces of art that you've created that are clearly inspired by the trips you've taken and the places you've been. Um, it's so wonderful to see. Um, so, and you also um, you teach as as from your website, you teach on Meech Lake canoe yes. lessons. Yes, and I teach everywhere in the world. Actually,
7: I've gone on three tours overseas in Europe and the UK, and going to all the different little hamlets and cities, uh, all the little canoe clubs, you say, well, is there any canoeing over there? Oh, yeah, there's tons. People are really interested in canoeing. And so... I've gone six weeks with my husband um, three times, and it's been great fun showing them the skills of Canada and the the States, like North America, and they think we're the mecca of canoeing. Um, but uh, here, I tend to focus on Meech Lake, and I love it. I've grown up there. I know the... The beautiful waters are crystal clear, and uh, I love passing along my knowledge of, of strokes. So, I did two movies uh, one, a basic introductory movie called Classic Solo Canoeing Basic, and then I did an uh, advanced one. And uh, it was fun. And they're there, uh, standing the test of time. I hired Ian Tamlin, who's of Thunder Bay. Uh, originating from thunder bay he lives just down the road in chelsea and he did a beautiful job composing for the music
1: and of course ian does the the theme song for our podcast and he was he was also the listeners might have heard him on episode nine he we had the chance to sit down with ian and, and hear more about his experience in the wilderness um but yes Becky, those those videos are so beautiful. I literally, in the wintertime, when I'm really missing paddling, sometimes I'll just I'll look at the trailer and, and see your beautiful strokes. And and uh, it's it's just kind of, I'm a little bit starstruck that I get to sit oh across the table from someone who can paddle so wonderfully. Yes. Well,
7: I, I sure had a good time. Uh, one trip I took, I, I drove around Lake Superior, right around, and um, I visited. We put the canoe in every couple hours. Um, maybe that was an exaggeration. We put it in a couple of times a day. Sure. And uh, all along the place. And my goodness, it's gorgeous on the south side of Lake Superior. I had no idea. I'd been growing up watching the north side of Superior. Many yeah. people have heard of that. Yeah. And then, uh, but. Uh, the the south side I, I was amazed at the Stradation and the Apostle Islands yes uh, going into those caves and um and those great that great school
1: oh North House Folk School exactly uh, yes yeah we went
7: down there and taught there uh, canoeing Then we had a great time and uh, just following our noses looking at your the beautiful scenery
1: absolutely yeah that sounds like a great trip you know exploring Lake Superior and just having your canoe on on the hood and taking the canoe down when you feel yeah I booked
7: quite a few lessons right uh, to all these different various canoe clubs around Lake Superior so we just stopped in went to Duluth and we went to Rhinelander and a couple other places
1: yeah. So how often do you make it out to our neck of the woods in near Grand Marais? Not too often, but I have a standing
7: invitation to come and teach there. So uh, I, I'll, I'll have to come by because I really love that area. Ely, you have such great canoe makers like Jeannie Berkwin. Mm. You're probably familiar with her. Oh, my goodness. And so many different places and the history of your your place. Like, it's just you know, Grand Portage and the, yes. oh my
1: goodness.
7: <laughs> yes, oh my gosh. I have not done that. You haven't, oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I walked a little, but I can't say I walk very far. I just was um, driving by, so.
1: You know, it's amazing, the canoe, um, we're still, it's, it has so much history, it's been around for so long and we're still, we're still using it. But, you know, I, as I was pulling in, I saw, are you making a canoe? Are you building a canoe right now? Well, the interesting thing is I married a canoeist
7: and I also married a canoe. He's not a canoe maker, but he actually restores canoes okay. and he also is a very skilled person. We have a store called um, Trailhead Paddle Shack in Ottawa and it has a lot of history. Many of your uh, listeners who have ever been near Ottawa or anywhere around this eastern Canada, they've probably heard of the store. And Reed actually, it's his 32nd year working there in the canoe shop. And he's today putting together canoes (laughs) for people, fixing them up. And it takes a lot of skill to be able to fix canoes. And now he's branching out, and I'm not sure if he's that keen on it, but the other things, the stand-up paddle boards and stuff, they're much harder to fix. Mm. The canoes are such a perfect craft. Like they they're quite durable and they they travel, they can follow waterways quite easily because you can put them on your head and portage, and then just load all your gear up and paddle along. And I was just thinking of water and where it brings us. And I always people ask me, well, what's your favorite water play? I said, well, it's where I live, but also what has touched me and and the bound uh, near the boundary waters well Quetico is the same waters of the boundary waters we don't think of borders when we think of water and then the the challenge that the boundary
1: waters has that yes with the twin metals the proposed mining and um that they want to do on the edge of the boundary waters and right there's so many organizations now that are just really very much against that because of all the people that love the area know that, you know, the we're not sure what the environmental impact would be, but well, water travels, right? And as soon as you put um, chemicals in the
7: watershed, that goes and it 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 infiltrates everything. So that's why it's so important to think globally when we think of watersheds. Um, everything's going into the sea, and then that recircle it's very long. It takes us a long time, but it comes back. So I think of a water droplet, like it really does travel a long way. And that's a, that's a pretty deep thought in some ways, but it's a simple thought. And uh, I see all that rushing water. And when I canoe down a river and I go for a two-week canoe trip, I'm going, all this water is moving. And even in a lake it's it's moving too it's moving up into the sky and then recirculating back and forth it's really quite a miraculous thing so um i keep abreast with all these environmental um issues that are concerning us and i think the key is educating people of how beautiful things can be and once they're they're degraded they'll be lost forever so i really appreciate the boundary waters um, group putting forth that this is important to save.
1: That's really cool to hear that you're, you're aware of it. And of course you would be. And, and, um, let's kind of, I was wondering, um, there's so many different kinds of canoes. There's, there's cedar strip. There are different materials you can use to make a canoe. Um, oftentimes the most popular are the Kevlar in the Boundary Waters in Quetico. Um, what kind of canoes do you like to use when you go paddling here around Chelsea? That's a fascinating um, question.
7: Canoes have a different uh, sound to them concerning the different mediums. like. When you ber- paddle birch bark, there's nothing that can duplicate a birch bark. For some unknown reason, I don't know. Maybe it's the, the echoes of of distance past. I don't know. But it it just is beautiful to paddle all the oil um, in birch bark, and you're sitting in just a gorgeous piece of artwork. Um, that's a bit rarer now, but I have a few birch barks, and I do take them out, and I enjoy you do. paddling. Oh yes. And then you've got cedar strip canvas, which is a beautiful craft also. Um, They were actually patterned off of the birch bark. You know, there's only so much birch bark you can find in the forest. So they actually thought, well, we'll make a a wooden skeleton and and put canvas on the outside and then waterproof it. So that works. And then you've got, you know, all the other ones, the wood canoes. We have wood canoes that you have to soak for a day and what happens is the wood swells up and then it's perfectly waterproof uh we were we just had a sailing canoe out the other day and we went out for a little sail oh so that was nice <laughs> but you have to prepare right for right. your or you you have a lot of water <laughs> and then you have other ones that are waterproof um i have some wood canoes that are very very well made um, that are a different type and they're shellacked, like, uh, preserved with, with, uh, waterproofing. And then you've got synthetic canoes that, um, we switched to, uh, many people are actually, um, uh, doing whitewater with wood canvas canoes still, um, which is perfect. Like, um, yeah, you got a few, banged ribs, and you have to replace them, but um, that's how we started out, and then my dad came up with the idea that you could make a beautiful shaped canoe uh, from a cedar canvas and make a synthetic canoe, so then you could go whitewater canoeing, called playboating, and uh, that was brilliant, I thought, Kevlar canoe, and take some bumps and crashes, and then, um, then you have a Royal X, it was called Royal X. Now you can't get Royal X, but there's other materials that are replacing that. So, And they have a memory. So I just took out my family, my uh, husband's family, Reed, uh, on Reed side. And we went down the Petawawa River in Algonquin Park. Hmm. And uh, they were all in the, the Royal X canoes and <laughs> uh, bending them around the rocks and they just pop out beautifully <laughs> into the shape of a canoe. That's what they are. But in a way... Sometimes when you're, if you don't, they valued it, but some, if you make it too easy canoeing, like if if people take all these high-tech materials out and there's no ramifications, then they just abuse the products. So in a way, you have to have both. I think you should try traveling traditionally with a, maybe a beautiful canvas, Cedar strip canoe, you can't touch any rocks, really, mm-hmm. or, or it's going to ding it. Mm-hmm. So you develop your skill to move your canoe around the rocks, nice. not just go over them. So then there's other canoes that slip over the rocks, like the warlocks, the plastic boots. And then you've got Grumman canoes, um, the metal canoes, and that was in Song of the Paddle.
1: Yes. <laughs> and
7: those are a problem because they stick. The metal sticks on the rocks so mm. you can't hit rocks because you stick on the rock and you can't go forward and you can't go back then you have to get out of the canoe and unstick the rock unstick the canoe off the rock that's a bit of a detriment when you're trying to run white water <laughs> so um you do a lot of wading mm. and but that's a good skill
2: mm.
7: there's no problem in song of the paddle there's a sweet shot of me wading with the canoe with my dad it's, it's my favorite shot actually it just that's what I love to do I love to wade in the can- in the rivers with canoes you learn a lot
1: I remember I think you were saying you could feel in the song of the paddle you could feel the the weight of the water and yeah and your mom was kind of talking about how you could get a sense of what what the water was doing when you wade in
7: yeah yeah and there's things it's fun to know our land like you look at the land you go yeah it's a bumpy it has hollows but when you look at a river it reflects what's underneath it
1: Hmm.
7: so it's cool Mm -hmm. cool to learn that so cool and then you have different times of the year we love it we love spring summer and fall so it's spring it's spring flood usually everything's in full flood and you have to be a bit careful because it's cold up here But it's really fun because the water's huge. And then in summer, it's low and nice and warm. Hmm. But a lot of rocks. We have rock-studded rivers around here. It's called technical running because there's a lot of rocks to hit. (laughs) (laughs) In BC, we have a lot of rocks. Uh, We have a lot of rivers that are are fast-flowing but not as many rocks to hit. They still have rocks, but... You don't have to weave all the way down trying to get through the river right. and out east we have um, a lot of salmon rivers and stuff and they are very rock studded that's where the polling like there's polling i don't do much polling because our rivers aren't suitable for here they're they're too deep mm. we still have a lot of rocks to hit and we if you use a pole sometimes it doesn't work so well because it's too deep but out east it's great fun i've taken my pole and gone polling very cool actually so what is polling is it polling is the coolest thing if you want to see a really neat uh um rendition of polling you watch water walker by bill okay. mason okay you can watch it for free at nfb.ca and type in Waterwalker. and uh halfway through the movie my dad's polling up uh, the dog river on lake superior oh,
1: cool. and he's
7: doing a very good job i must say going up and then you can also go down he was going up there, but you can snub your way down. It's very common. I'm not sure in the boundary waters if it's that common, but um out east, it's very common because the rivers are low and they're very beautiful pebble bottom mm. that's perfect for polling. The allagash is fantastic for polling
1: the allagash yeah okay yeah. Mental note. (laughs) (laughs) I believe that's Maine.
7: (laughs) Um, Yeah. They have a very, uh, very um, wonderful um, tradition of polling
1: in the Aligash.
7: Yeah. Yeah. And before Canada and the States was formed, Mm -hmm. this is another really cool idea because water doesn't have borders. But before it was formed, you had New Brunswick, the Acadians, and you had the main um and they were together so it's really fascinating if you go down to Maine, i can see so much bc uh new brunswick technique yeah and uh, quite a few mannerisms and then if you go up to new brunswick you can see Maine crossover so they divide the the border but the canoeing didn't die they just kept passing along their beautiful skills so they're quite similar it's one of the only places in in Canada and the state's border where the canoeing is quite fascinating how the polling has survived both across the border in Canada and in the states yeah so you have to go to out
1: uh East And see, uh, see that polling. Check out, yeah, what people are doing with canoes in terms of polling. But in terms of, so um, when you are going out, like on these whitewater expeditions, what kind of paddle do you like to bring with you?
7: I have lots of paddles.
1: <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I have
7: way too many paddles. <laughs> um, for whitewater canoeing, I tend to like the um, rectangle um, okay. paddle. Just because um, our water, I like to get a good paddle full. Um, If I'm going on a deep water, deep water river, and it's it's just not too many rocks to hit, Mm -hmm. um, I love an otter tail. So, with an otter tail, you have to paddle more often, but Mm -hmm. you move less water, so it's perfect. And then with a more shovel like um, paddle, you paddle less often but you're you're um pushing more water so it is quite powerful yeah i always wonder about calling them shovels they're not shovels they're like <laughs> the, you know what i mean i know what it's you like, mean yes that's uh my favorite whitewater paddle i use a gray owl which is a canadian company and uh like the Hammerheads. They're called Hammerheads. And they're just a superb whitewater canoe paddle. Mm. And there's... uh, People make lots of whitewater paddles. Andy Conovery. He's well-known. He just lives down the street. You could spend the whole day here. Talking about paddles. Well, there's there's, uh, an original paddle um, canoe maker of the Chestnut Canoe. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Chestnut Canoe. But the Chestnut Canoe um, started... it started out east, and it's uh, there was the Peterborough and the Chestnut canoe, and those sort of started the the um, canvas cedar strip in a big way in North America. And uh, when you when you think of cedar strip canvas canoes, they say, is it a Prospect or is it a Pal? Is it a Deer? Is it this? Is it that? And it's usually from the Chestnut or Peterborough. Uh, company and they started in I can't remember when they started, but eighteen hundreds, ni- early nineteen hundreds, and um, I think eighteen hundreds, I can't remember. But anyways, uh, the there's a paddle maker, um, canoe maker, Hugh Stewart, who has original molds
1: and he oh, uses wow. he
7: makes these amazing canoes and he uses them. He goes like in Labrador for a couple weeks. And, oh, wow. And, and goes down big rivers, and they're great. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And paddle makers all over the place in North America and Europe. Like, everybody loves to make a
1: paddle. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're all different focuses. Mm, so true so Becky just to wrap up I feel like we could spend all day talking about all these things we've touched on but I just wanted to end with you know you mentioned um, we were speaking before and you mentioned the word touchstone and um, and how you have different places well could you explain what a touchstone is first of all
7: a touchstone to me is returning to your roots um, and my roots are based on where my dad took me and he explained why the area was important and if he didn't explain it to me it became important to me um one of the most amazing places is on lake superior uh, the dog river and it has denison falls it's in water walker also you can see it there um and that is a touchstone to me I, I return to that whenever I can I, I go up there and it's a six hour paddle in oh. uh, you can start in cotton and paddle the coast uh, west and um, it's a bit of a paddle but I, I've gone on trips too and I just stop in there that's a really huge such touchstone but just walking the forest listening to the trees and what they can tell you. That's Mm. a touchstone for me. Taking the time to slow down. I can have a very, like everybody, you get a busy life and I have to return to what I think allows me to listen Mm. to what's important. Granted, you have to do things you don't like. And they can wind you up into a quite a frenzy of activity, but after that's done, our project is done like a canoe movie is one of the most stressful things to do. But I will just go for a walk for an hour or half an hour in the forest and put my hand on a tree that's ancient I call them grandmother trees, and these they've they've just done some studies that these huge trees you have some big trees and we do we do and and we have them all over in pockets but these big trees they talk to each other and I think in a way these touchstones everybody has their own touchstone but they're quite similar
1: Hmm.
7: I think because the touchstones are usually simple things
1: that you can go back to again and again and maybe they've changed a little bit but but it's the concept
7: of accessing slowing down and listening to the forest we have so many beautiful forests around if i'm stuck in the city for a week or two i'm chomping the bit to go into any forest
1: exactly and that is
7: it (laughs) and to explain that that is a touchstone to me Hmm. keeping me centered
1: yes Well, Becky, it's been so amazing getting to talk with you. And thank you so much for taking the time to be on our podcast and and share your wisdom and your experiences. It's just so neat to to get to sit down with you and have a conversation. It was lovely to take the time to um, talk with you, but it was
7: wonderful that you drove all this way to sit at my kitchen table and have a cup of tea with me. <laughs> that that That's important too. Yeah. And chat
1: canoeing. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.
5: It's really great, Joe, to hear Chelsea uh, Break cutting her teeth. Uh her first real interview uh on the podcast and and she you know, she's just such an endearing person and um her passion to make that interview happen and her diligence in getting it done, uh, what a gift that we got to hear that.
6: By the way, this instrumental that uh was playing over while we're talking right now, literally what you hear right now, Becky's Canoe by Ian Tamlin. Well done. <laughs> How to get that Sometimes in. it's
5: like I'm talking to God when, I, when I'm sitting here <laughs> with you, the way you can make that music just happen like How that. How does
6: he do it? Yeah. The power. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, man, what, an, what a great interview that was. Definitely. Thank you to Chelsea for traveling all the way up there by Ottawa and, uh, to the town of Chelsea to meet Becky Mason. Yeah, that's cool.
5: Uh, looking forward to hearing uh, a lot more from Chelsea on this podcast in, in the next year.
3: Hello Boundary Waters podcast listeners, my name is Jana Burka, and I live in Grand Marais. I work at WTIP along with Joe and Matthew, and they don't know that I've just taken over their podcast for a few minutes, but I wanted to share some information about a place on the Gunflint Trail and the edge of the Boundary Waters that I think you might enjoy. Bearskin Lodge is located 26 miles up the Gunflint Trail on the edge of East Bearskin Lake. The lodge and cabins are open year-round with some of the best cross-country ski trails in Minnesota found right near the lodge. I've been on them several winters, and they're just beautiful. And during the fall, there are few places better than East Bearskin Lake and the surrounding forest to watch the leaves literally change colors and drop before your eyes. There's great fishing, all kinds of places to see moose or hear wolves howl, and a very kind staff waiting for you at Bearskin Lodge. Visit bearskin.com for more information, or you can type Bearskin Lodge into Google. Okay, guys, thanks for letting me share this message on the Boundary Waters podcast. Back now to Joe and Matthew.
5: You know, Joe, I was thinking about first-time trips uh, into the Boundary Waters. And uh, as I've shared with you, this summer I got to take two different groups out. My partner, Lindsay, and I took two different groups out on their first trip nice and it's, it's really exciting and i i knew i wanted to share this one moment from uh the trip and this trip had a four and a six-year-old along with their parents their great folks brian and becca and their son jasper was sitting on a drop seat in front of me in the canoe when we launched from the entry point point. and when we launched he had a death grip on the rails of the uh drop seat mm. he It was like a mixture of fear and excitement, but he just did not know what to expect, and he was holding on tight. He didn't want the canoe to tip. Every little, uh, every little bump kind of tensed him up. And you know, we got to our first campsite very short paddle. We were just stopping for lunch at this campsite, so we do our thing. We get in the boat, starts off. He has his death grip for about thirty seconds, and then all of a sudden, I look up. He's got his hands in the air, and he says, "No hands." And, and, and it was just this amazing step. And then by the end of that day, he and I were in a canoe alone, not in the drop seat. He was in the front of the canoe yes. with a full-size paddle, paddling the canoe. He said, I want to paddle. And I actually quit paddling for a while in a nice calm bay. This four-year-old kid moving the canoe with a paddle. Hmm. And I will never forget that moment, but I hope even more so that that this kid, Jasper, he never forgets that moment because what a
6: start to Boundary Waters' experience. You know, I bet uh, a lot of, that. that's a very good point. Something I hadn't really thought of, Matthew, quite frankly, is that not only is it a memorable trip for the, you know, as we're about to hear from Sarah and Joe, uh, Joe's first trip, how memorable that is for him. I bet it's equally it's memorable for Sarah, just like in the situation you described. Those moments that probably mean almost as much to you yeah. as as it did to the young man that you were you were with on that trip. Sounds. I remember, uh, you know, this as we said, the summer just zooms by around here. But uh, I remember that you were really genuinely just so, you know, it was a it was a meaningful trip for you for sure.
5: Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and I think as we know, it's a lot of trust. Uh, you're trusting somebody. Uh, to come in with you and, uh, you know, there's anything could happen. And I think it's, you know, definitely, uh, builds memories for a lifetime. Uh, and on that note, let's, let's jump into this, uh, interview you did with, uh, this, this first timer.
6: And joining us now here on the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast from the Twin Cities area, but fresh off of their Boundary Waters trip. Sarah Comrode and Joe Shilly. Hey, hey, hey! Hey! Thank you so much for stopping by. So, as we heard, uh, this is we're talking about first time paddling, first time trips. Uh, Joe, in reference to you and and your fiance Brittany, but uh, Sarah, you've done now a few trips with yep, your this husband is our third. and and your husband Andy, and and we'll talk more about the two of you uh, here in just a few minutes. But I want to hear about this trip. Uh, it's summer 2019. Joe, this is your first. Uh, boundary water specific trip, but what's your background? You've been in a canoe before this, you've done some paddling, or what's your, your comfort with a canoe before this?
4: I would say when I was about 10 or 12, I went to a camp, and that was probably the only canoe I've ever been in. And yeah, my family has a cabin up on Cross Lake and Brainerd, so we do a little bit of boating up there on the pontoon. Um, other than that, my... First canoe I would say, yeah, this past weekend. It was in the boundary waters, so it was pretty exciting. Okay. Portaging. So, yeah, yeah, portaging.
6: That's what I was gonna get yes. to next. Um so that's kind of the difference largely between just a casual canoe trip or even a, a river trip in a canoe or something like that is this concept of portaging. Um how'd you hold up on the portage trail?
4: Uh at first it was uh, a bit of a struggle. Um the the everything, the weight, uh my package was probably about like like 50 pounds and then I had to throw the canoe on top of it. I'm just like I don't know if I can do this, but mm-hmm. um I managed to get through the first portage and from there on out it was pretty successful. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So cool it wasn't
6: too bad. Good, good. It always seemed to be in great spirits here yeah. and everybody walked in. Uh, Brittany was here or you're, you know, at yep. WTIP. Everybody came in. Feeling pretty good. It yes. like So that, that's a good good <laughs> sign, you know, yeah. that, the, that there could be another trip in your future. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Of course. <laughs> yes. Well, all right. So, so Sarah, tell me a little bit about, you know, we actually met uh, Matthew Midwest and I, Mountaineering, exactly, yeah. Exactly. This in uh, spring 2019 at the Midwest Mountaineering Show in Minneapolis, you I mean, just having a conversation about the podcast and paddling and so forth. And this notion of first time paddlers came up and, you know, you were mentioning you were going to take some, some of your friends in. And what was your role? Were you, were you the guide? Did you feel like a guide on this trip? Um,
8: so my husband, Andy was the official guide in our permit. It said Andy Kermode <laughs> he was our guide. So <laughs> I was more like the assistant guide because I am not the person who's out there reading the maps and like navigating us. <laughs> I'm more so the one who I plan our meals and everything. Like, I planned all of our meals, the whole group. I told the group, don't bring any food. Like, I am rationing out your meals. I gave them each a Ziploc bag of their snacks and their lunches for Saturday and Sunday. Mm -hmm. I gave that to them Saturday morning and said, This is your food for lunch and snacks um so portion it as you want you know when you're hungry eat it but when you're out you're out
4: yeah so- super good by the way just want to throw that in there <laughs> yeah right on Right
8: on. yeah but that's kind of, that was kind of my role in planning the whole thing and then we did have them all over at our house a couple of weeks before we did this trip to give them a little rundown and give them a packing list of what they needed in the boundary waters because none of them knew what to expect so we made a packing list and kind of told them these are things you'll probably want. You might want this. We never bring certain things here, but yeah, just gave them a little rundown of what to expect. But Andy's the one who does all the navigating there.
6: So you were more in this role of uh, maybe an organizer. Right. uh, Yeah. Facilitator. Yeah.
8: And the cooker. I did a lot of the camp cooking.
6: Great. (laughs) Completely essential. Yeah. And so what made you and Andy want to get involved in this? Why did you want to introduce your friends, Joe and... and uh, and Brittany and the other group. Why did you want to take this on?
8: Yeah, so Andy and I just have, ever since we met, we've had this love for the outdoors and we started off backpacking then. And it was only two years ago that we went to the Boundary Waters for our first time. And we just fell in love with the Boundary Waters and the peace it brings to you. And when you're out there, you you just feel so surreal. And it's just such a vast area out there and bringing people out there. We know that people have this desire to get out there But people just don't always take that next step of doing it by themselves. But when they have people who are confident and know how to get out there and do it for them, they will go with us. And that's what we want to inspire onto others, just to bring them out there, to realize that a person can do this and we just want to guide them to it. And then our hope is that they'll go out there and do it by themselves next time.
6: Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, that sounds uh, like a completely uh wonderful notion that you've embraced and to introduce people because sometimes you know matthew and i on the podcast uh, the people that we've either met at some of these shows canoe copia or the midwest mountaineering expo they either didn't know about it or the boundary waters or they seem a little bit intimidated by what's going on so i think what uh, you and andy are doing is is fantastic and i salute you for that and so uh joe what what you know, we talked about the, how you held up, you, you conquered the portage trails and there was some anxiety about that, but then you did it. Um, what happened out there? What'd you do? How did, was it, was it fun? Did you enjoy the experience? Yeah,
4: Yeah, it was, um, we, when we, when we got out there, it was just, I, I don't, it's breathtaking in a sense. You, You, you're just surrounded by nature in a and you're walking around and you're, you know, with people that just makes it more enjoyable. But it just to uh, be disconnected for a little bit of cell phones, you name it. And um, just to really soak it all in and you're you're there with what you brought and you settle down for a little bit. We did some fishing, but it's just you know, the natural necessities of life, you know, of being surrounded around nature and around, you know, just, I, I I don't know how to describe it. There's just the, the cleanness of it. Just the fresh air. It's just, it's very surreal. So yeah, yeah.
6: good. Well, so how was the fishing?
4: Fishing was great. We actually ended up catching uh, three northern, mm-hmm. and uh, we ended up cooking two and for nice. breakfast. For breakfast, yes. and it was super delicious. Fish super for delicious. Yeah. Yes, I, Can't I am beat into that.
6: fish for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, and so uh, I'm assuming you know that you. It sounds like in just in conversation with Sarah, leading up to it, you guys kind of got together and so forth. Yep. But you, you probably, or maybe I'm being presumptuous, but uh, I assume you did some online research about what it is, what the area looks like, maybe some YouTubing, or did you? get into what it was going to be like up here?
4: A little bit, yeah. But honestly, Sarah and Andy, they they kind of just gave us the rundown. Like she said, we had a, a a night together, and we went over the things that we needed. And my dad, he used to go up to the Boundary Waters growing up, and he kind of told me like what to expect, what to see. And so I kind of told Brittany as well. I'm like, this is what's going to be going on. But, you know, they were very you know, helping with, yeah, yeah, this is what's going to be going on. So we kind of had a good idea, but yeah. yeah.
6: Nice. So this idea of uh, your first trip, um, you know, I mean, it's uh, very memorable for most people, even experienced hardcore people we've interviewed on the podcast who've gone for 50 years in a row. Some of these people, some of these great people we've interviewed, they still have a fondness for that first trip. So this was probably kind of a life event. You know, let's assume you you would come back or now when somebody asks if you've ever been up there, you can. Uh, Did you think about that? Like the significance of this first trip while while you were out there?
4: Yes, absolutely. Like I said, it was just, just my dad, he was just like, I can't believe you're going up there. And once we finally got up there, I'm like, I know what he's talking about. It's just very, just inspiring just to be up there the the things we saw i mean there was probably an eagle flying over us for like a good hour and then we were giving each other like spirit names and stuff like that (laughs) spirit like you know a blue butterfly and it just kept following us but it was just something Mm -hmm. about it you know and we're looking around for moose and Mm -hmm. you know just those things fishing and you know, portaging from one thing to the next and just enjoying each other's company. It was just, it was, I can't get any better than that. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So
6: it's it's been pretty rough here in the start of the season for bugs and we've had some some varying weather. But um, Sarah, how'd how it go out there for those factors
8: you know the bugs they were because i came here the past two years and they weren't that bad at all we never even had to pull our, our bug nets or anything this year we did have to pull out our bug nets a couple times um but andy and i we always spray our clothes with permethrin before we camp any before any season so that helps a lot and i did notice our friends like swatting themselves a lot more so than andy and i were swatting ourselves because of that um, but yeah, overall, I think this season just has been worse with the bugs.
6: It has been. And did that impact camp morale and this kind of, uh, you know, did you take that upon yourself to sort of be a checking in on how everyone's doing? And, and
8: Yeah, that, you, know, you know, we were just kind of making sure everyone was always having a good time. Like I was always, you know, I made them coffee, made them hot chocolate. We always had a fire going. Yes. And it just seemed like everyone was having a really good time. Like they were constantly spraying bug spray. But if they had bug spray on, they seemed to be seem to be doing pretty good yeah. um and their bug nets like at the at Tuscarora Lodge I did like make sure that everyone purchased a bug net at that lodge there just in case because I was hearing the bugs were so bad
4: mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah like we went into uh like the forest little area and then the bugs started getting bad but like when we were by the just the site it was just like no bugs and we're just sitting around the campfire and we're like wow like we haven't really been swatting or nothing but yeah. once you kind of went a little deeper in, the, the bugs started to get a, a little bad. But mm-hmm. nothing too shabby.
6: Yeah, sure. And there's always, I mean, it's northern Minnesota, right? There's, right. there's bugs yeah. all over the place. Yeah, I know.
8: think the worst part is the bugs when you're just going back by the latrine, you know, to use the bathroom. Like, you're always swatting yourself when you're sitting on that latrine. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I think that's the worst part of it.
4: I will say the first <laughs> night, though, when we got there, there was a June bug that went into our car. And then my fiance, she went, you better swat that or you know, you might not be as manly as you think you are. And I just was like, are you? Okay, yeah, I'll I have yeah. to get this.
6: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but okay. Cool. Well, so let's talk about the route. Uh, you went in. You went up the Gunflint Trail. For our people listening, uh, it's on the end of the Gunflint Trail near Tuscarora. You make that same turn down that road, and Cross Bay is the entry point. Yeah. Uh, so you're entering there. Where'd you go, Sarah? Where'd you, where'd you take the group? What What was next? You went down toward toward the south and east, right? Toward, like, Long Island.
8: We yeah Long Island was our idea de- destination mm-hmm. in the end. Yep, that one. But then we ended up just going to. Uh,
6: Carl. Yep. Carl. Yep. Yep. That was mm-hmm. the
8: one. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's
6: a nice campsite there, right? And
8: yeah, uh, yeah, we had a nice campsite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And getting there, I mean, there was six portages that we had to go through to get there. None of the portages were that long, but um, and that's why we chose this route because, like, in the Boundary Waters book that we have, it described this route as being easy for first timers mm-hmm. but i was getting worried because like five portages is kind of a lot and going across the lakes like they were kind of short short paddles across and then you were all of a sudden portaging again so i was like this is kind of hard for first timers you know i feel like we should be in the canoe a little longer because mm-hmm. it's like you're in you're out you're in you're out are we scaring them away from the boundary <laughs> waters because the portages were like maybe two minutes long it felt yeah, like they were they quick
6: yeah Mm-hmm. yeah just the the idea of having to get in and out gear, so constantly
8: yeah yeah i was getting worried for them <laughs>
6: okay well joe how that did that impact you or what do you think about that to
4: be honest i th- i think it might have been it wasn't too shabby for me. i mean we went in i i was kind of glad that they took us on the route that they did it wasn't too long wasn't too short but i thought it was just like the perfect minimum of what it should be yeah, and that and,
6: way it, you maybe right. felt a, a little more like you, yeah. you got in a yes, ways. You yeah, know?
4: and I was happy for that. Like I wanted to get a little deeper in and just not like, all right, we're staying here tonight. But you know, and we found our campsite right away. You know, after we went in. So it was...
8: yeah, and you know, I was just so proud of them this morning. Like we cut our time in half going there on Saturday. It took us six and a half hours to get to our campsite. But then coming back out today, we cut our time in half to three and a half hours because Andy and I didn't have to wait for them. And like Andy didn't have to help them put their canoe on or help them get their packs out and make sure like they were balanced in the canoe. We were just wanting to make sure that they were getting there safely their first time. Around, but they were totally independent coming back today, yeah. which was awesome. Nice.
6: OK. So what type of uh, canoe were you paddling and you?
4: I be, I believe it was the like a Kevlar, yep, Kevlar. yeah, and mm-hmm. it was just like a forty pound, uh, yeah, Kevlar yeah. canoe, Kevlar
6: know. as opposed to aluminum, uh, or yeah, yeah. Royal X or something yeah. else, yeah. yeah. Well, that's a that's probably a, a good thing uh, yeah. for starting out on your portages and mm-hmm. and um, what about just the idea of being out there? Like, what d- describe to me a, a typical evening? Even I know it was a, a shorter trip, but that's probably a good thing too for for uh, first trip. But you know, what was the what was the evening like for you in particular, Joe, like yeah. campfire, yeah. hanging out and then you know So you're...
4: what we did, uh the other couple that came with us, they brought musical instruments and it was so fun and funny. They had the We were like,
8: communicating with the animals. Yeah.
4: And we started singing songs like old oh, McDonald, <laughs> he had a beaver, he had an eagle. We were just switching it up, but mm-hmm. uh we had a blast. We had a we had a fire going and then we were just you know kind of moving around, just having fun. I mean, we're just, conversation was great. And I mean, yeah, fishing and you name it. But sun was out the first night too. And I mean, the sky was just nice. and
8: Yeah. And just being like 100% disconnected. Like all of us were just like having great conversation. There was no interruptions the whole time when you're sitting around that campfire. Mm -hmm. Just that having that is piece in itself and it's mm. just amazing and going back to the instruments i mean yeah one of our friends <laughs> brought a bullfrog instrument and yeah. we were playing it and the bullfrogs were actually talking back to us from mm. the lake i mean it was you know one of those ones you go like that too mm-hmm. and It was just
6: so cool that we were able to communicate (laughs) with
8: those frogs.
6: Yeah. Like, they know we're here. Yeah, right on. Cool. So, that's the instrument. Or was there a ukulele or a guitar or something? Well,
4: we wanted to bring, like, a guitar, but yeah, Yeah. just small little, you know, shakers. Didn't want to
6: portage the guitar out. Yeah, Yeah, sweet. So, have you done much car camping? You know, slept in tents?
4: Yeah, actually. I mean, I've gone to Banning, I've been to Gooseberry, you know, a couple other places, but yeah, just off the off the campsites and stuff like that. But I really like uh, what Sarah and Andy have been doing about like, all right, we're going to hike in, we're going to stay the night in camp, and then we're going to go to another one. Because we actually went to Silver Bay with them.
8: This October.
4: This past yeah. October and fall. And mm-hmm. that was just another trip in itself. And it was super, super fun. And it kind of gave us that you know, first time of that going on. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
6: And what was that on the Superior Hiking Trail? Yep, that was something? on the
8: Superior Hiking Trail.
6: Okay. Yeah, so let's talk about hiking, actually. Uh sure. You know, the, yeah. one of the things that Sarah, when we met at the... Uh, expo down in Minneapolis you told us about hiking through life and that's an LLC that you and and Andy uh, have started in in Minnesota and tell me a little bit about this and our listeners
8: yeah so hiking through life started um, about three years ago I mean Andy and I just have this like love for the outdoors and that's kind of just what brought us together initially when we met And hiking through life is just kind of a metaphor to know that like when you're out on the trail, you're always going to have these challenges when you're going up a hill, when you're going down a hill, there might be rocks, there's dirt, you're going to slip, you're going to fall, you're going to face challenges. And in the moment, it might feel like the worst thing ever, like getting to that campsite, you still have another mile to hike, but you know, you can do it. And then when you're done, it feels amazing to sit down and look at the lake and just take a sip of water and just have a little breather and we can take that back to everyday to-day life working your 40-hour week 40-hour weeks that everyone works you know people get stressed out and just don't know how to manage their day-to-day stress but Andy and I have really found that hiking through life has given us that that tool we need to keep calm in this crazy world and we want to pass that on to as many people as we can
6: hmm. so would you be it, it, like you were in this in a in a guiding capacity. Is that what the, the yeah, idea is, or Yeah, yeah, that that's a like our goal. Yeah, kind of
8: like you know, one. that's kind of a goal. Like we would love to start guiding people out into like into Superior Trail and the boundary waters. And right now, I mean, yeah, just by taking our friends and family out is getting us um giving us a lot of great experience for that. But ideally, yeah, in the long term we would love to start um, some kind of guiding business with people.
6: Yeah. Sweet. So if somebody wanted to find out a little more information on that, what that you got a website or yeah. social media. Yep.
8: Or? You can check us out on hiking through life.net. Our website's going to be launching probably in the next couple of weeks here. We have an Instagram page, hiking.through.life. And then you can also like us on Facebook.
6: Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Well, let's, uh, talk then a little bit about, The idea, of Joe, for what you would now be able to pass on to some people. I mean, you've done one trip and Mm -hmm. you've got it under your belt. Um, For somebody, two things I want to know from you about this would be, first of all, somebody that's hearing this on the podcast has never done a trip to the Boundary Waters and and maybe they're uh, uh, getting back to that intimidation. They wouldn't know where to start. They wouldn't know what to do. Um, How was it from a beginner standpoint? It's something that somebody could learn pretty quickly, do you think? Absolutely,
4: yeah. Um, I mean, with Sarah and Andy too, I mean, I just like the guidance that the tools, like I said, that dinner that we had, they kind of prepped us on what we were going to have. Like, all right, these are the tools you're going to need, like the small little necessities, the food, this is what you want to bring. And so we, we went to Walmart and we packed every little tool that they told us to get. And we're like, all right. And we packed it and we pretty much used every single little thing. And so it prepped us for what we were expecting and um so if any beginners out there were just you know wanting to go on a trip or something and you know ask for advice i mean from yeah i this would totally set them up Mm -hmm. i mean it totally set us up i I, I mean i'm a beginner and it just brought us to another level and i feel like i'm an expert or as we say a professional now you know Yeah. yeah but yeah it's they it definitely prepped us for
8: Right, and that's why I think seeing you guys this morning, like we like weren't paddling as close to them at all this morning throughout mm. the lakes because we just felt like they were so confident in what mm. they were doing now. And just seeing that growth over the past two, two days, days yeah. was so like amazing yeah. to see and it just like brought a huge smile to andy's and my faces because that's what we want to do with people we mm-hmm. want people we just want to give that people that little push that they need to get outdoors and do this on their own because exactly. so many people are itching to get outdoors mm-hmm. and do something like this they mm-hmm. just need the tools and a little bit of motivation
6: yeah so why the boundary waters why is that a, a place sarah that uh, you think people should do this type of activity why should people come and and get outdoors in the Boundary Waters in particular.
8: Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I grew up in the Twin Cities and it's only a five hour drive up here. And I'd only, I mean, I only came up here two times before this. And just to think that I never experienced that before is just, you know, crazy that it's so something so close to us that we can get up there. And I think when you're up there, I mean, it's a wilderness area. It's they just keep it so well protected. There's only a certain number of permits that can go in each day. And yeah, there's a bunch of people up there throughout different campsites. But you feel like you are the only ones up there. And to have that feeling, I think, is just so incredible to have that feeling of being up there and being able to listen to the loons. And just hearing all the animals at night and looking out over the sunsets of the lake. It's just something that I think everyone should experience at least one time in their life. And just to be able to go through the struggles of a portage and paddling and sometimes the wind. You're going to have those struggles of paddling through the wind. And I think everyone should be able to have that opportunity. Mm
6: -hmm. Yeah, nice. Well said. And so, uh, Joe, then the other thing I wanted to know from you, would you be comfortable? Would you feel that you could guide Brittany or the two of you can come back and do your own trip. Your, How do you feel about your yeah. skill at I, this I point? feel
4: like I could take Brittany next time uh, up to the Boundary Waters. I mean, even somewhere else and just take a pack and pack a certain necessities, food, you name it, and just go in ourselves. Or maybe bring two other people and we could be like... Well, we learned it from these two people right here. Yeah, sweet. (laughs) Honestly. The
6: perpetuation through. Exactly. Yeah. It it begins. Yes. So, yeah, I I think that's what it's
4: all about. Yeah.
6: Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Good. Well, it sounds like you had a a nice trip. Uh, Things went well, even, you know, with the bugs and everything else. I just to see you guys come in smiling today. I wasn't quite. I was kind of like. Well, it might have been a little bit rough. (laughs) There was a little rain on there. Yeah, Yeah, you know, the only rain,
8: it was only yesterday afternoon. Maybe Mm -hmm. it was like a downpour of like two hours or so. But Mm -hmm. we put up a little tarp. We Mm -hmm. just hung up there under the tarp, had coffee and hot chocolate, and just had a good time, had good conversation. And all of a sudden, it was sunny again.
6: Yeah, Yeah, right on. Good. Well, thank you for telling us about, uh, Joe, for telling us about your first time in the Boundary Waters. You know, it fits in nicely with just this concept that Matthew and I are exploring of, You know, going back to that first time paddling and and what that means for people and getting people's uh, over that hump of of the fear of going into the Boundary Waters. What is it? And so I think stories like yours and and these these examples, of course, you know, not everybody has a friend like Sarah Mm -hmm. or a friend like Andy to help them. But, um, you know, hopefully somebody would point them in the right direction or even that this interview would inspire them to to get out there and do it so thank you Joe and and thank you Sarah and thank you for and, having uh, party and and uh, appreciate you being on the podcast awesome
8: thank you
5: well thanks to Sarah and Joe for Really, coming straight down to the station to tell you personally about this experience. Uh, It's the coolest part about community radio is that, you know, we're right where all the adventure happens. And the amount of folks that stop in the station to share and connect, it's really rewarding. It's something that, you know, wouldn't happen if we were... Uh, stationed further from this beautiful place.
6: Indeed, sir. And uh, I would all but guarantee you that Joe will be back in, totally. in, in maybe 2020 for another trip, <laughs> maybe. If, if not before. Yeah,
5: yeah, maybe a fall trip. <laughs> yeah. It's it's amazing how the really the Boundary Waters wilderness in Quetico, I mean, it transforms throughout the year. So you could do four trips a year, and it would be a completely different place every time. And as we gear up for, for, for fall, you know, it's really nice to think about how that's going to change.
6: Well, Matthew, a uh, big thanks to Chelsea for traveling all over Canada to make her interview possible. Uh, thanks to Duluth Pack, of course, Bearskin Lodge up the Gunflint Trail for supporting this episode. Uh, been a lot of fun. As always, uh, we're going to try to get some links on either social media to the Radio Free America that we were talking about at the top, or you can access that, read Matthew Baxter's bio on there, see the photo of him on Winchell Lake. Oh shucks. <laughs> or you can uh we'll we'll figure out a way to make that uh easy to access for everybody listening on the podcast. And of course, thank you to everyone here listening. Uh that's what this podcast was started for is you uh to stay connected to the boundary waters. We appreciate everybody that listens and, and follows us and just thank you.
5: Yeah, you know, keep keep the emails coming. We love hearing from you guys. And if you get a chance, give us a review on your podcast platform. Uh, that will not only encourage us. It'll also help other people find the podcast. Uh, And as we move forward, uh, wrapping up episode 21, we couldn't do it without you guys.
6: Also, uh, there's a character that's getting a lot of attention on our Patreon page right now. His name's Old Man Ed. Um, He's your new neighbor, Matthew. You haven't spoken publicly about him yet. I I don't know if you're ready for that quite yet. I've I've kind of been uh, dealing with Ed, I guess, or, uh, you know, talking with them and,
5: and yeah i've appreciated you kind keeping them calm f- fielding <laughs> some of that attention uh, but you know i think it'll be fun to actually maybe get him on the podcast again soon
6: so you can find old man ed on the patreon go to patreon or just type wtip Boundary waters podcast patreon into google and you will find old man ed and a lot of video and other things on there specific to the podcast so until the next episode <laughs> and we get to october mr matthew baxley i'm headed up uh I somewhere I'm going after lake trout. I don't know what you've got planned, but you should join me if you can, sir.
5: I can, and when we get there, you'll
2: hear the sound. Is it? I got one. <laughs> I just sing when I paddle, feeling, not thinking, if the strokes are true, we're gonna get through to the other side. Out in the night the waves beat the shore You can hear them pounding, you can hear them roar Oh, roll me, rock me in my dreams You can roll me, rock me in my dreams So I like to sing, I love to dance I play the fool if i got the chance All around can campfire light All around Campfire light all round, all round, all round. The campfire light.